Hey, uh, Scott's right, a little uncomfortable, because um, I don't normally volunteer to speak, but uh, I kind of did this time, and so I don't know what got over me in that, and y'all are just along for the ride. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, like Scott said, I really don't know what, what will come out of my mouth. Uh, I can sit and talk and think through stuff that, that I want to say, and as the first service happened, I look and go, no, no, that came out. That's interesting. Uh, real, real neat there, God. What's going on? So enjoy the ride. Um, but before we uh, go on a little journey, in my uncomfortableness of being up here, I think that's what God has told me to talk about, is being comfortable. And I hate is a strong word. I do not like when Scott always says, hey, stand up and do this at church, but guess what? I'm going to ask that you do that. So in, in, in my uncomfortableness up here, I'm going to ask y'all to stand up and to move. Move to a different seat and be in a little different comfort zone from where you would maybe normally sit. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a few up here and grab one because we're going to open Bible and we're going to do a little something. So shift, mingle, get a little uncomfortable, maybe in a different perspective. Real fast. And grab a Bible if you need to. So unfair. <laughs> oh, come on, Otto. Are you kidding me? Talk about uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, wow. Gosh darn you. Sucker. Auto. Cracking me up, dude. All right. Um, we're going to look at, at John chapter 2. But uh, before we do that, let me... Uh, Maybe not clue you in, but remind you of a few things, and Scott kind of touched on them there in ministry time, of of John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. Jesus clearing the temples, okay? Now, now, we're going to read that in just a second, but before we do that, don't read it yet. Just hang with me. I want to remind you of just a couple little things. It's Passover, okay? And one of the traditions of Passover is this. The families cleaned their house. The families cleaned their house top to bottom and did it meticulously, not looking for dirt, dust, cobwebs, looking for yeast. It was a reminder of going, being delivered, and going into the wilderness and that journey of being delivered. And the yeast was not a deal of, hey, we don't have space for it, really. I mean, maybe a little bit. We don't have the, we can't carry the weight on this journey. Maybe that was a little of the deciding factor. But here was the huge deciding factor was, with that yeast, if it got with the other stuff in the bread, it became a doughy ball that became a mess on their journey. And they couldn't deal with that sticky little mess on their journey. Okay? So that's one. Passover. They clean the house. 
And as you notice, uh, as you notice, Jesus goes into God's house. Okay? And he clears the temple. And the other thing I'll remind you of is the temple, two, two, uh, two courts, an inner court and an outer court. This inner court was designed for where the Jews went to be with God and pray where they went. The design of the temple, the outer court, was for the rest of the world. It was for the Gentiles to come and pray. Okay? So, take out their Bible, turn to John 2, and you're going to read it. Chapters 13 through 22. To yourself. And here's what I want you to do. In reading it, put yourself there. Put yourself in the story. What do you see? What do you hear? What are you feeling? Alright? And then when you're done, kind of look up at me, and then when uh, most of you are looking at me, then we'll move forward. Alright? So John, chapter 2, 13 through 22. Go for it. If you don't have a Bible, there's still some up here. As you're finishing up, and your new, kind of uncomfortable seat that maybe you're not used to, a different perspective. I ask you to be a little more uncomfortable and to speak. And the question is, where are you in the story? If you were there, where were you? And that's an open question. Where are you at? Anyone? Steal, like be shocked or something. Where are you at in this story? Think he was crazy? Where are you at in the story? I wouldn't want to be standing next to Jim. Where are you at when God comes into your temple? Are you questioning? Are you fighting them? Are you receiving it? Where are you at? So much of this is what's going on in my life. And so I only speak out of what has been uncomfortable in my recent future or recent past future. I no telling what comes out of my mouth. Uh, what comes from what's going on in my life. 
And where am I at when God comes in and asks me to move? Take the next step. Get out of my comfort zone. Let me straighten things out. Let's go back to what the original design of what the temple was for. Because we've got a little off kilter. And so this morning is a lot of just me and what's going on in my life. And y'all just get to come along for the ride. Sorry. Again. So here we go. He comes in. And what's the first thing he does? He makes a whip. That's kind of odd to me that he's sitting there and takes the time to braid a whip. And, and I've noticed Jesus takes the time to make a whip rather than just going in there and turns things over. He thinks, and I think he prays about it a ton. Just like the woman that's brought before him, caught in adultery, he stops and draws in the dirt. Don't know what he draws in the dirt. We don't know why he's making a whip. But he does it. And he thinks through it. And he prays through it. And to me, that's just a huge reminder. Do we do that? Or would we rather just go into other people's lives and turn over tables when really we need to go back and go, Jesus what's going on here before I go turn somebody else's table over <clears throat> so we have all these players in this room okay we have these businessmen that are making money selling doves ox sacrifices and it's happening in the outer courts because the Jews have protected this inner, what they know, what they believe, what's really deep. They protected this, but they're okay with this market happening where the rest of the world is supposed to be spending time with God. They're okay with the world creeping in on it. Because I think it was creeping in because I think there was one guy started out selling doves way down the street from the temple. What am I about to fall off the stage? Uh, selling doves down the street. And then another guy came and was selling the next thing. And then there's the next thing. And it slowly crept towards the temple. And then this guy figures out, the closer I can get to the temple, maybe they'll think it's more pure. Maybe I can charge more. And so he moves. And it's slowly just coming towards the temple. And it slowly creeps into the outer courts of your temple and do we have stuff in our life that is creeping in to the outer courts of us and we allow it to happen we let it go because we think as long as I'm protecting this here I'm going to let this go until all of a sudden it's in the temple and it's there. Do we have stuff in our life that we just let go? And slowly does it become not just 
this little yeast, but it slowly becomes a growing ball, a doughy mess. It all of a sudden is in our face and something we have to deal with. Because I think as a Jew, all of a sudden it's become a doughy mess. Because they're in the inner courts, and all of a sudden, what are they hearing? They're hearing a ruckus outside. And they have to go out from their thing, their inner court, and come out to see Jesus. They have to come out to see God. They have to get there because they've created this thing that was their own. And it wasn't a God thing. All of a sudden, it becomes something different because they lost sight of what the temple was for. Have we lost sight of what we are designed for? And are we letting little yeasty things become big dough balls that we really don't know what to do with and get all over our hands and pick up other junk along the way? Do we deal with it? And then I think there's, there's a, the priests and the Jews going, oh, all of a sudden we've got a mess we've got to deal with. This mess is Jesus. But I also think there's a Gentile amongst all the business going on that maybe he's over here in a corner and he's trying to be with God. And it's become a mess. And it's become a side thing. And it's become, become something really hard for him to do because of the business that's taking place in that court. I, I sit there and I go, who am I in that story? Am I lost in a corner trying to spend time with God? with all this junk going on around me? Am I in here doing my own thing when there's a ruckus going on? Am I more worried, mad? You know, when Jesus turns over the table, my first response is, sucker, you ain't getting away with that. I don't know. You know, at the time, they're probably thinking, I don't know who this guy is. Or maybe I've heard of him. But guess what? I've been doing this for years. And you ain't going to come in here to my place of business and tell me what to do. So I'm going nicely going to escort you out of here. And I'm going to pick up my table and I'm going to keep on going on with what is going on. Because I know what I'm doing. And I think God says, no. You're too comfortable, Ron. Let me turn over some tables. Let me shed a little light onto what's going on. Because the, the uh, final deal, the Passover of the clean in the house, was this. They turn off the lights, and Dad lit a candle. And Dad went around the house and looked in every drawer, checked every piece of utensil under the candle for a piece of yeast. And here is Jesus in God's house turning over tables inspecting 
the temple for yeast. Because he knows what it can become. Doughy ball that gets in the way of us really living. So we have this cleaning temple story. And, and I raise the question, do we have stuff creeping in? Have we created something that's not really designed what it's supposed to be? And what is our response to Jesus coming into the temple, into our lives, and turning over a couple tables? Shedding a little candle light on maybe some darkness of our life. What is our response to that? Now, I want to focus a little bit more on Nicodemus. Uh, the next chapter, in three, we, we uh, get to meet Nicodemus. And um, I think that he was there. I think Nicodemus was a Pharisee at the church. I don't know why I think that, but I do. And, and let's just read it real fast, and then we'll come back. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. Take it from me, unless a person is born from above, it is not possible to see what I am pointing to, to God's kingdom. You know what's fascinating to me is even so early in Jesus' ministry, at the end of two it says, many people noticed the signs he was displaying seeing they pointed straight to God and trusted their lives to him. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. Jesus pointed to God. What are we pointing to? What are we pointing to? The uh, Nicodemus, I think, was there. He was a Pharisee. I think he's seen. I mean, he says, I've seen. We all know you're a teacher. We know. No one could do all this God-pointing, God-revealing acts unless you were in on it. I think he's seen him. He's heard about Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's been having sleepless nights. He's uncomfortable. He's, he, he's in a funk. He can't figure out what is so dadgum, miserable going on in his life that he goes to Jesus in the dark. He gets up in the here and now of his pain and discomfort and he goes to Jesus. Now Nicodemus traveled the same roads during the day. Most likely the roads that he goes at night to visit Jesus. But during the day, Nicodemus most likely walked down the middle of the street, maybe had a little chip on his shoulder, maybe was a little arrogant, maybe 
was in total control of who he was and what he's doing. And maybe felt like he ran the show. But he was uncomfortable at night. He couldn't sleep with himself because God was doing something in his life. So he gets up and he goes in the night. Now, he goes in the night for maybe some wrong reasons, but that's fine because he goes. He goes from the night most likely because of his position, and he cannot be seen going to Jesus. But he goes. He goes at night because he's worried about the power that he has, and if people see him going to Jesus, maybe he doesn't have as much power. Maybe there's somebody that's got a little more power than him. Maybe he goes to Jesus because he doesn't want people at night, because he doesn't want people to think he's worried, that he's out of control, that he's going from shadow to shadow in the darkness and cover of night. Wrong reasons. But he goes to Jesus. And the little... And he goes to Jesus. And Jesus, what does he do? Hey, it's three. Come back in tomorrow. No. For whatever reason, Nicodemus comes to him at night. Jesus says, I, come on. And whatever reason keeps us from going to Jesus, if we'll just go, Jesus is going to say, all right, Ron, come on. He's not going to turn us away. Um, and what does Nicodemus come to Jesus with? He comes to him with really simple, all that he knows. He, he lays it out. He goes, I don't know what's going on here. But here's what I do know. You know, I'm here in the middle of the night. I'm, I'm struggling. Here's what I know. Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if you weren't in on it. He just says what he knows. And God turns it around. And makes it personal. My question is, are we willing to go to God with what we know? And uh, throw it at his feet. And let the light of God, of Jesus shine a little bit in the darkness of our light and let him look at those maybe those little dough balls and let him have them or are we too scared because we're too scared what if he turns over a table. 
what if God does this? I don't think I can control it. I don't think I will have control over that area of my life all of a sudden. And I'm a control freak, and that freaks me out that I might not have control over something because I've let God overturn a table in my life. Let him deal with a little yeast. And I think he's sitting there asking us, hey, I don't care when you come to me, but come. Tell me what's on your heart. What's bothering you? What's frustrating you? Don't be scared about your position, your power, what people are going to think. But will you come to me? For I'm the light of the world. And let's shed a little of that light on some of the darkness of our lives. Um, you know, it's so funny to me because Nicodemus is like, Jesus calls him out and says, you don't know what you're doing. And, and I feel like, Ron, you don't know what you're doing. You have no clue what the bigger picture is. And I think God says that to all of us. But he just says, come. Come to me. I'm not going to turn you away. I have some light that will change your world. And I think I play this game. I, I think Jesus is the master of asking questions. And I think it's a lost art that we need to learn how to do. But the game that I play is I defer and try to ask God questions. And go, all right, God, if you really want me to do this, then how about why would you have done this in my life? And I ask him questions. And it, it um, paralyzes me from going forward. Because I play this game of, all right, Lord, answer me this one before I go. I think we do that. I think that we ask God questions when we know full and well what is the answer. What is in that inner court that we protect, we know the answer to this outer court question that we're asking, but yet we still play games with God and we ask questions of Him. When full well we know what the answer is and we have it, but we choose to ignore it and let it build up. And we play this game of asking questions with God rather than just going to Him in the darkness and letting Him shine some light. At the end of that chapter, it says this. This is the crisis we are in. God light streamed into the world. God light streamed into the world. God showed up. But men 
and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone was, who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. Fearing a painful exposure. Boy, I'd hate for some people to find out that I didn't have it all together. So I'm just going to stay away from that little light over there. I'm not going to go there because I'm fearful of exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. Are we willing to let him in to the temple? Are we willing to turn over some little doughy messes? Are we willing to let him into some of the darkness of our life? Have we forgotten what we're designed for? Are we too scared? Too worried about our position of who we are to go to Jesus? I don't get it. I don't get why I will have sleepless nights and live in a discomfort when I know the answer. Why do we do that? When all we have to do is go to Jesus and he answers. It frustrates me. But I don't know why I keep doing it. Why won't I just go? Because every time I go, I know what the answer is. I'm here. I went to the cross for you. And I love you extravagantly, Ron. Why won't you accept it, Ron? And I don't know what the answer for you is. But why won't we go more often? Because after I have great moments of that, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant and I feel wonderful. And I feel great and I sleep and there's no more discomfort. But why can't I remember that whenever I get back into that funk or whatever of knowing the promises that God's already given us, that he will answer the door and he is there and he loves us extravagantly. And if you look at a little bit later on, at the end of John 3, he gives a great promise that I think we forget to hold on to. And it's this. I don't know where it is because in the message, I just have it underlined. It's somewhere around 34. It says, The Father loves the Son extravagantly. God loves Jesus extravagantly. He turned everything over to him so he could give it away. A lavish distribution of gifts. That is why whoever accepts and trusts the Son gets in on everything. Life complete and forever. I get in on that. I get in on everything, life complete and forever. 
if I will just get out of the way, you stupid idiot, Ron, and go to Jesus in the dark and give him the dadgum dough ball. It's a promise, over 2,000 promises that we have. And why will I not do it? And why will we not do that? This week, I challenge us to spend time with Jesus in the temple and let him walk around with a candle to your life and let him speak to you. And let him be who he is that extravagantly loves us so much that he went to the cross so that whoever believes in him would have a life and have everything, a life complete and forever. That this week we would look at that, that we would go to him in the darkness and if we need to, and set aside our pride and just get there and spend time with Jesus because we know in our mind how sweet that time is. But will we do it?